Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. My aim is to utilize the experience and knowledge of experts from a wide range of different fields and to translate these into easy to follow principles that can be adopted by you to improve your life and those around you. Today, I welcome Angelo Baldassoni to the podcast. Angelo is an eighth-down black belt with over 52 years experience in a wide range of different martial arts styles. I am also pleased to welcome him onto the podcast because he has been my teacher for over 11 years now and I've learned a lot about movement and life in general from him as a coach and as a good friend. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Let's get into it. Angelo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and for giving your time today. It's been something I've wanted to do for a while. So again, thank you and I look forward to this conversation. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me, Dave. It's always a pleasure to share ideas, concepts, principles and life, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Angelo, you have over 50 years experience in martial arts. Would you be able to explain what got you into this in the first place? How old you were? What styles you looked at, please? Yeah, sure. I started at the tender age of uh, eight years old um, with boxing. What led me to that was I kept getting beaten up. I mean, I'm a very small guy. Um, that's why you never see me around Christmas time. I'm at the North Pole making toys. But um, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I was always getting beaten up when I was eight years old. So I thought I'd try to do something to defend myself. There wasn't lots of martial arts around at that time. I didn't even know what martial arts was at that particular stage. So I found boxing in Kingston, Kingston Boxing Club, and I really enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy getting punched in the face, obviously, but I enjoyed the, the discipline and the fitness and everything else. Then I found judo at 10, which I liked because it gave me more things. I could actually grab someone and throw them, and they would throw me, of course, obviously. Uh, and I, I really loved that. And then, of course, Bruce Lee came along and then everyone went uh, Kung Fu crazy and uh, um, martial art crazy. So I joined the karate club at 12 years old. So that's how I really got to do that. Did you feel that the judo and the boxing gave you any advantages moving into karate in the early stages? And what type of style was the karate that you were learning at that time? I think it did give me a lot of advantages because obviously you have a discipline and a way of training straight away. You have that structure. The style I did was Shotokan Karate, which I absolutely love and have, have done practiced that for 35 years before changing doing the Filipino arts. But I really loved the, the Shotokan. I, I trained under a master called Master Noida. Well, originally Master Tomita, who was his helper. And I remember he had the biggest thighs going. They were enormous. And I thought, wow. And when he kicked you, I mean, you had to get out of the way. Otherwise, you were just, uh, you were just wallpaper. So, um, But it was really, really cool. And I, I wanted to move like them and be like them. And you sort of mimic people, don't you? Which is, a, a, I suppose, a good form of flattery, etc. But I, I was just smitten with it. And I did everything I could to train every day and... Uh, get all these movements and these weird catters, which are like prearranged movements that you, you learn. And yeah, really, really good time to start off in karate. What was Master Anoida like, both as a person and as a martial artist? I suppose in one word, he was just inspirational in everything he did, whether it be with the karate, the way he moved. I mean, he was descended from samurai. So he had that sort of walk and that sort of uh, look about him and stuff. 
And I remember he also did an advert on Kung Fu crisps. And he sort of threw the, the puff in the air and then uh, kicked the crisps. So he was, I think he hated that because everyone remembered him for the Kung Fu crisps and stuff like that. But hey, I'm going back like 40, 40 odd years ago or whatever like that. But yeah, he was an incredible person and I learned so much from him. The thing I learned with him is determination and try harder, try harder. He used to always say to me, come on, you can do it. Come on, try, try. And that was his sort of thing. So I saw that you get swept along with that enthusiasm and that inspirational attitude that he had. <laughs> that brings me on to my next point. Do you think the training methods were very different when you were initially trained or in the methods you were trained in, especially in comparison to today's methods? Looking at things like improving flexibility, uh, resilience, strength, all, all these different types of things. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's funny you should say that because I think a lot of the training methods we used to do sort of 40 years ago or so, you couldn't get away with today. It, it was quite bordering on barbaric because they would tie sort of uh, your belts around each leg and then each student would pull pull your legs apart type thing. It doesn't matter if you can do splits or not, you were going to do the splits, you know. So, and after that, I was singing soprano for about four four years. But, uh, you know, Ellie Jones walking on the air, it's like, you're walking. I did fantastic, I was for that. But yeah, and standing on your legs and uh, jumping on your stomachs and stuff. I mean, totally, I mean, you can't do that now. You've got to have a duty of care to your people. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of training back then. I think we put up with a lot more stuff because one, you didn't know any better. And two, it was just the way everyone trained and you just got sucked along with that. Uh, I wouldn't dare do it to my students now. That is uh, not probably the <laughs> not probably the best way to, to get the best out of them. But it is interesting, old methods and new methods. Uh, you can say, well, one is better than the other. I don't know. It's just as it was. And everything that happens in your life brings you back to where you are now. So it's got to be good. Of course. And uh, yeah, there's benefits with everything. I think the we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but injury prevention being one of the highest um, and most important factors we need to think about with not only ourselves as practitioners, but also as coaches with students of any sort. Um, sure. You want them to keep coming back, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> it's not, yeah. yeah. A lot of people say living, so they, they need to get them back, etc. I think it's it's difficult these days because students have so many choices I mean, we never had choices in, in back then, 30, 40 years ago. You didn't even see a black belt. I mean, now they give them out with Happy Meals, you know. So you see a 10-year-old kid who's a black belt and you think, well, how can you get a black belt? You, you don't leave people any, anywhere to go. You've got to, ha yeah, I'm sure they are worthy of the black belt, etc. But it's, it's so different now. It doesn't mean the same thing as it used to mean. You saw a black belt and you went, wow, he's got a black belt. And everyone's, yeah, I'm a black belt. Yeah, hardest three weeks of my life, you know. It <laughs> seems to be like that these days. Everyone's got so much choice. You didn't have all the different martial arts and the different things that you can do now and the information on the internet, etc. Yeah, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? We've almost got so much information now. We've got the ability to watch UFC and Bama and multiple different ways of sort of looking at mixed martial arts. And then all of these other things have started to sprout up. So you've got practitioners could very much say oh, okay i'm going to do karate one week and then going to move to boxing the next week and not actually dive in deep enough to gain more of an insight into the principles uh, which we'll go into um, i'm sure at a later stage sure. um because you just keep skimming the surface it's like anything isn't it if you don't dedicate yourself long enough to one path mm. you never get to the core you're exactly. always dealing with shapes exactly. 
yeah and it's always always easy to change when things get difficult it's always easy to change there's so much choice when it's difficult that's the time you should soldier on because that's when you get your most gains when it becomes difficult people if they just carried on a little bit more it used to infuriate me as a teacher someone would get to brown belt and you spent a lot of time devoting the, their their uh, tuition and everything else and then they would leave just before black belt now there could be many reasons you know maybe they just bottled it maybe they feel like oh no that's as far as i want to go etc there's lots of reasons for it but uh yeah it is quite infuriating as a teacher that you you spend a lot of time with people and you want them to do well you don't want them to fail that's the whole point but then if they don't fail <laughs> they won't learn that's the whole point yes it's you have to go through something don't you because if you don't have hardship when you do encounter that in life whether it's in a martial arts scenario uh, violence or it's just undue stress or stress that you can't handle you're just going to crumble aren't you really if you haven't been stress tested yes and that's a that's a good point stress testing is very important with karate for example the aim is getting a point I know it has other things as well that, that has value of discipline, has value of uh, dealing with another opponent, uh, respect for the place you're training and everything. It has lots of attributes, I realise that. But some people confuse martial arts with self-defence. There are different things. Just because you have a black belt doesn't mean you can fight. I know that sounds a bit weird. I mean, I always used to get beaten up when I got my black belt because I couldn't get my shoes and socks off fast enough. But... <laughs> But I learned so that they don't don't bother with that. Just go for it, you know. <laughs> so, so you're really highlighting um, if we if we looked at say karate uh, as um, as sort of a, an idea to look at in terms of stances. So if someone was standing in a stance, you'd basically say that that would not be efficient in a self defense scenario because you've got a wide stance, your feet are very far apart, you're probably grounded, stuck on the floor. Um, it, exactly. it, that's what you're highlighting really isn't it yeah yeah definitely i think it doesn't translate well from the dojo which is a training hall where you're training to an actual outside environment you have to slightly modify what you do now i'm lucky enough to have done so many different things with the judo with boxing with uh, various other things that i i have done in the past pressure points etc nerve strikes and so on that i realized that that's not reality you've got to separate the two otherwise you will come unstuck so do you feel that your views on training over the years have, have definitely changed as you start to you've moved through different disciplines and then you started to i'd say be more creative with your methods like following more of your ethos has it changed your views over the years and over the last 50 <laughs> it's a it's a long time to think about things definitely I love doing all the basic styles and the structure before. And my body was able to deal with that. For example, karate with all the low stances and everything else. After 35 years of Shotokan karate, I thought maybe I better change what I'm doing. The reason being is you're getting older, your body naturally will change. And so I started to develop what I call walking martial arts, walking through the person and making it as natural as possible. That led me onto the principles, obviously, of martial arts, because I'm a small person, as I explained earlier. And if I see a guy who's 300 pounds, I want to know if I hit him, it's going to work. And before that, when I did hit somebody at 300 pounds, they just used to look at me and go, yeah, OK, whatever. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. It's not working as well as I want it to work. And that led me to study 
pressure points and various other methods like small circle jiu-jitsu and so on. And from there, I really got into the principles big time. So in terms of the principles, how would you, how would you communicate them to someone who doesn't have a martial arts background? So we could look at two options, really. We could look at someone who hasn't got any idea of martial arts. Maybe they're a bit, they're into a movement practice mm. or a form of fitness. So we could relate certain things to that. And then for the martial artists, how could you also communicate those principles across? So, because I personally found that the more disciplines I explored, the more these principles made sense because they're fundamentally, they're universal, aren't they? They're more applicable to us as human beings than anything. Um, yeah, they're not just definitely fine to that martial arts. Definitely. And I don't think you have to be a martial artist to put these principles into practice. They're principles for life, to be honest with you. For example, you can't do anything without principles, driving a car, playing a piano, ice skating, yoga, constructing a building. Everything has principles. If you don't adhere to these principles, then the house will fall down, for example. You know, I get told constantly I started playing the piano at 50 years old. And when I have a lesson, they say, keep your elbows in, keep your elbows, relax, breathe, breathe. All the things I tell my students, <laughs> it's like I'm getting the same thing back again. And it's refreshing because I like that because it keeps me grounded and it keeps me wanting to know all these principles. For example, for martial arts, there's about 350 principles. And there's probably more that I haven't discovered yet. How do you translate that to life? Well, you've got to have good posture. You've got to be able to absorb things. That means not only absorb the opponent, for example, but absorb things that happen in your life. For example, when things are bad, you've got to be able to absorb it, decipher it, uh, deflect it, and project it back if you need to. So these principles are not just for martial arts. They're for your whole life, and everyone needs good posture, and that's our number one principle. Because yeah, we're, we're seeing that big time at the minute in terms of um, coaching people through dealing with laptops computers on a daily basis mm. the the more time people have spent in lockdowns and time at home on zoom meetings that posture has become a huge thing when the posture becomes dysfunctional breathing becomes dysfunctional breathing impacts the heart every single process in the human body including our stress levels yeah, so totally having that posture is the first one has definitely for myself learning it from you in the early stages has become more and more apparent as the years have gone on that it's not mm. confined again to you must have good posture so you don't take a hit in the head, for example, because you're not leaning yeah. forward. But it translates mm. through everything, longevity, the lot. Yeah, and it's also a mental posture you've got to think of. It's not just the physical posture, which is obviously very important, how you stack your spine up so it's completely level so you don't do any damage to your back and everything else. But it's also mental posture, how you deal with the environment you're in, how you deal with people and everything else. And then it's also environmental posture, knowing your surroundings, going on to self-defense, the amount of people that have headphones on and just walk down the street. I, I, would, I would love to just go around pickpocketing everyone because they wouldn't even notice that they're looking at their screen so much. That's a joke, by the way, I wouldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> but I have this conversation with my kids all the time and Janny, who's uh, 27 and the solicitor, he, he always puts his headphones on and just walks around the street, totally oblivious. And he's got his head down on the screen. You think to yourself, well, you're just asking to be mugged. It's just, just crazy or run over or both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awareness is a huge thing. Obviously, uh, witnessed this through different jobs in the past as well is how mm. vital awareness is in the hostile environment or we, we tend to get complacent don't we i think complacency yeah. is one of the most dangerous things 
to have as a human being because the more we think everything is okay and the environment is safe then all of a sudden boom it supposedly happens very quick but as you've highlighted to us it doesn't it, it doesn't happen quick there are always precursors to everything if you're walking through a graveyard at half past 11 at night then someone might sort of jump out in front of you you're looking for that sort of thing well one i wouldn't walk through a graveyard half half past 11 at night but everything they people tell me oh the attack happened so fast i said no it didn't happen fast you didn't read it that was the problem there's always precursors to everything people look around they pick as human beings we're like the animals and we pick on the weakest person the one that's easy to to mug or easy to pinch the money from etc so that's what we do and uh, you should be aware of your surroundings all the time it's a basic thing and we go back to posture again would you say that's the most important skill to learn because obviously self-defense classes are huge and they have been for years very I, I haven't been to many classes in the past or heard of many that would really dive into knowing your surroundings and learning how to deal with your environment it's very much about do this technique mm. this is how you chop someone in the throat or this is someone how you need them in the yeah. groin for example but there's very little education around knowing your surroundings would you say that's up there in terms of one of the more important things to learn yeah definitely i think unfortunately teachers have a tough job because they've got classes of 40 for example and you can't impart that sort of prescription training that you need to do with each person so probably they don't delve into these type of things so much. It's all about turning up, having a good sweat, repeating all the techniques and everything. And maybe that type of training goes by the by side. I mean, luckily, obviously, I've, I've my background has been with the police also. So I've had a lot of awareness training, a lot of skills dealing with people and everything else. I tend to be aware of my background or my surroundings a lot quicker than someone else for example that doesn't mean i don't relax when i go to a restaurant and i have to jump on the waitress and get her in an arm bar or something because she might attack me but uh it's it's like you've got to be aware of what you're doing and who you're with and where your back is where the exits are and these are natural things that you would do normally as you train and train and train because your father had a martial arts background to a degree didn't he as well in terms of uh was it italian knife fighting yeah he did some italian knife fighting uh, I don't know the actual uh, complete history of that because it was taught by his dad and his granddad, etc. Uh, he came from Venice, so um, uh, of course I'm I'm English. I'm not Italian, but I have an Italian name. Um, but yeah, he did some bits and pieces, some some knives and that. I didn't learn much from him though because he was always working, bless him. So um, it was more all the other things I did. I did so many styles trying to find these principles. I did Italian uh, knife. I did, um, uh, there was one style, it was crazy. It was called uh, elephant kung fu, elephant fist kung fu. I didn't even know an elephant had a fist, you know. And when you got a black belt, you had to get your tattoo of this elephant's fist on your forearm. And I thought, well, this is a bit strange, you know. And we were learning some funny movements. Of course, it was that boom when it came with Bruce Lee and everything. So, so people were just opening up clubs left, right and centre. There was people from the takeaway doing classes in the back of their, their Chinese takeaway room and stuff. And they're not even qualified, but they look Chinese. So they sort of uh, just went with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, though, isn't it, as well? We, we tend to associate certain cultures with things like martial arts. If, um, if you are British or more of a Western culture, we tend to associate a lot of the martial arts from... Their origin of of course don't we so oh. so people are more likely to fit that mold 
and yeah. sell it to us as Westerners. Uh, whereas when we start to learn these things, it doesn't look as good for selling, put it that way. No, I suppose when you're going to a karate club, you want a Japanese instructor. I could argue the point that maybe a Japanese instructor wouldn't be as good as a, a Western instructor. Depends. Depends on the actual person, obviously. But it has that authenticity, doesn't it? The same as if you were learning yoga, you want to learn from a Swami or someone like that. But it doesn't mean that there are not other good instructors around. I think it's who you get at the end of the day and how committed they are to pass down the teachings. That is always a problem because, especially in martial arts, they don't want to teach you everything or they don't know. And so they all go, it's a secret or you're not advanced enough to know that technique. So we won't go into the death punch or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's a bit like that. I've always been very open with my students so far as if I don't know anything, I will tell you straight away, I don't know it. And let's explore it together or let's find out. Doesn't mean that I haven't got a plan. Doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm teaching and everything. It just means that I'm willing to say that I don't know something and let's explore it and let's, oh, that's an interesting concept. Instead of just shooting someone down, for example, which is a normal thing, even in life, even a job or whatever, people do that. A manager will shoot their sort of subordinates down. So just to put their ideas in all the time and not take any feedback, etc. What's you? It's actually something I want to ask you for a while. I can't lend you any money, Dave. No, no, not, not again. Um... <laughs> <laughs> just clear that out. <laughs> um now we've established that one. Uh, yeah. What's a black belt mean to you? So personally as well, um, and also when you uh, would qualify a student for the black belt. Mm. Interesting question, because it means so many different things to so many people. Does it mean it's the, the sort of pinnacle of your career? For me, black belt is just starting to learn. It means that you can do the basics that's a reasonable standard. It doesn't actually mean that you're you're a black belt so far as all knowledge, all knowing and everything. It's the same like taking a driving test. What happened when you passed your test to a learner before? You've got to take time to be a good learner or to be a good driver. For me, a black belt was incredible. When I got it at the tender age of, I don't even remember, it was in 1980, I think it was, something like that. I slept with my black belt under my pillow for about four days because I, I, I just check it was there all the time. It meant a lot to me because I worked really hard for it. But then as I as I sort of got past that, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's left to do now? And I thought, well, I really haven't started. I've, I've just, yes, I've achieved something, but it's just a start. It's not the sort of end of your training. And that, for me, is so important. It's the learning. When you get caught up in all the... Uh, money or fame or glory or something like this you always forget it's about the learning and improving yourself and for me that's the most important thing do you think that's a lot of the dangers with martial arts integrated into a sport environment where money's involved huge money that people become so fixated on the the constant wins the constant payday that Mm. for some i'm not saying all because some of these athletes are far more experienced than myself and are true martial artists and some of the most incredible um, martial artists you look at like GSP and um, Anderson Silver back in his day as well when he was was Mm. performing. But again, some of them, some of them quit at a time when it's almost like they quit and then they continue to study in their own time and others seem to go a little bit too far in that arena. 
to the point where things start to happen. They get knocked out repeatedly. Maybe they cause long-term damage because they can't defend themselves as well as they used to. Um, Yeah, do you feel that's a bit of an issue? Yeah, definitely. I think money does play a part of it. And also, you still want to be the number one or the one that everyone's looking at all the time. And we've had it all throughout history with Muhammad Ali. He just went on a little bit too far you know, he should have retired and so on, so on. Go out as a champion. Mayweather, he wants to come back and he's fighting people on YouTube or whatever he's doing and stuff. And it's it's just a shame, really, that you get to that stage. For me, as I said, it's always about the learning. I'm not interested in anything else. I always want to better myself. If I can find different ways of doing things or ways to improve what we're doing. And I take on board what, what my students say also and... For me, it's always the learning and that that excites me because you can never learn this all. Martial arts is for life. Like anything, if you play piano or you learn a language, it takes a lifetime to learn something. It takes a lifetime to learn a language, for example. Yes, you can be proficient. Can I have a cup of coffee in a language or whatever? But to actually know a language, it's it's a different thing altogether. So if you translate that into your martial arts, you've got to be uncomfortable with being uncomfortable and that's a really important thing and you have to fail a lot the only way to improve is to fail and keep failing and then you'll improve and not to worry about what people think for example and that's what stops a lot of people i feel they always worry what people think of them for example to learn a language just for an example you have to speak to somebody don't don't you didn't get the verb right or the wrong conjugation or whatever it's not important the fact that you're trying to communicate and that person appreciates that but if you are not prepared to speak or say oh oh, no it's too difficult for me then you're never going to do it you need to fail all the time so you have to be i think i'll put it in italian bisogna sentire comedy a sapere di non essere comedy which means that you've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable that's uh, it's definitely something that translates through a lot of life, isn't it? I, th- I think we've moved more into, as time's gone on, the thing that I see a, a lot through through coaching as well is because there are so many programs, so many platforms promising instant results, instant gains, that they're so <laughs> focused on gaining something. I know we've yeah. had this conversation before where you've had phone calls asking, people asking if they can pay you for a black belt, which is insane. It's, it's yeah. insane because you're setting yourself up for a huge fall yeah it's crazy i've had i've had people actually saying can you buy me a black belt and i say and, and give it to me and i said well why would i do that why why don't you just train i said well it and i thought to myself i said he wants me to buy the black belt and give it to him and then he can go around and say well grandmaster angelo gave me this black belt yes i did in theory but he didn't do any work to get it so i'm thinking why are you doing things like that that's just that's mad everyone wants an if you look at anything I'm going to make you slim in in three months. You know, just just pay this $200 and the magic pill will be there. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, Dave. It's always hard work, a lot of effort. And that's what people aren't prepared to do sometimes. When it gets too tough, they then think, well, I'll change it and I'll do something else. When that instructor doesn't give me a black belt, I'll go to another one. It'll be easier because he's more soft on me and whatever. I can get it like that. Just pay the money and things. Uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but I have been in gradings where the the head instructor has gone out with a with a briefcase full of money, and uh, the instructors have actually said, um, "This is nothing to do with the grading, but here you are." And I thought to myself, "Hmm, that's very interesting. Maybe I missed a trick there." <laughs> no, <laughs> joking. <laughs> yeah, so resistance is where the learning 
really is so when you feel resistance that's when you, that's where you need to focus isn't it if you constantly exactly. seek the mm. I, I think we've got so caught up with this water concept yet water flows mm. so be like water water continues to pound a, a rock until it does something to it it depends it's very easy to pick a, a facet of a concept isn't it and then say yep that's correct instead of mm. looking at both sides of the coin because yin and yang work simultaneously yeah definitely at the same time and you've got a little bit of yang in the yin and a little bit of yin in the yang that's why that uh, badge is like it is it's it's very interesting because i try not to have anything fixed anymore when i first for example i've got a really great friend his name is master pip and he's a 40 year aikido man and i wanted to learn aikido so we started to train together I was going to teach him some punching and kicking and he's going to teach me some Aikido and some bits and pieces. And he said, have you thought about the principles? And bear in mind, this is about 20 years, 25 years ago. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the, well, the principles of, of martial art, of movement, of everything. I'm thinking, well, no, I haven't really explored that. So he was, he was teaching me some things and he was infuriating because I come from a very structured background, you know, you're hand has got to be this position, it's got to be three centimetres here, etc. And that's wrong if it's not exactly like that. Whereas he was like, I said to him, shall I stand like this? He said, yeah, of course you can. Well, what about this? Yes, that's also right. Well, what about that? I said, yes, that's good as well. I go, well, tell me what it is, because I don't actually know, you know. And when I would say what it was, he would go the opposite. Or he would, he would just go, well, it is and it isn't. And I found it very infuriating, but I now know what he means. You've got to have a structure, but your structure's got to be so flexible that you don't need structure. You do drills in martial arts so you can come out of the drills. I know that sounds a bit crazy, but you, for example, if you are driving, then you've got to drive to the conditions of the road. So you've got to blend. You've got to blend if there's more traffic and there's more people coming across the road, then you've got to slow down. If there's a horse coming and everything else, you've got to do everything you need to do. You can't just say, I'm going to get in my car and go uh, 70 miles an hour because you wouldn't get anywhere in that sort of way. You would, you'd get to the graveyard. But that's, that's the difference. I, I have a very flexible approach in my training and also the way I deal with students now and also the way I train myself because what I need now at approaching 60 years old is not necessarily what I needed when I was 25 so it's a different thing yeah it is it's very true isn't it we it's so dependent on what the application is of whatever that skill is needed for but when you're selling online courses for example which is what a lot of the industry has moved towards and by industry I mean the movement culture as a whole whether it's martial arts or calisthenics it's very much like people want to know if they google something it says yes is this correct? Yes. If it says maybe, but you can do this, 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 and then people are like, what, what is it? Tell me. And yeah. Yeah. it's like we almost need a definitive because definitely the way you taught us, one of the big points I learned from, from yourself was probably in our first lesson. And that, that method was don't be there when you handed me the knife and then yeah. pretty much <laughs> ran away. And I would say that probably stuck with me more than anything we've learned is that just don't be in the situation is probably yeah. one of the most um, important concepts to learn as a martial artist. And that was very black or white. If you can avoid it, get out of the way. But as time has gone on, it might be that we have a family to protect or, 
you are stuck against a wall or someone catches you on the way in the bus stop. It, it is so dependent. You can't always just say, I'm going to be there or not be there. You might have to do X, Y, and Z at different mm -hmm. times. And then we go back to what we said earlier with the posture and environmental posture and uh, checking your surroundings and being totally aware of what where you are and who you're with. And you're totally correct. I mean, the best knife defense is go down to JD Sports and get some trainers. And then you can you can do all the knife defense you want at about 30 miles per hour. You know, it's it's uh, that's the way to do it. With knives, you've got to have space between you or you've got to have an object I never tried to do a disarm. It doesn't work. And I've, I've tried things for practical reasons when I was in the police, for example, and trying to lock people up and putting in locks to put them in the back of the van or et cetera. And it was very difficult when you've got someone who's not compliant. When you've got someone that you train with and partner, there has to be a certain degree of compliancy. But when you're actually doing it for real and it's life conditions, call it, then it's a different matter altogether. What I would do for self-defense it's probably all the things that you can't do in UFC, going back to that again. With UFC, it's a sport. It's a very good sport, and it's a very good test of your character and the techniques and everything. But you can't jab people in the eyes. You can't jab people in the throat. You can't headbutt them. You can't kick them in the groin. You can't kick them when they're down. You can't do any elbows directly downward on the spine. All the things that I would love to do, if, I, if my life depended on it and I needed to do to protect my family, you can't do it in UFC. So it's not quite the ultimate. It's very good. And it saves people getting maimed and killed, obviously, if you started to put those things in there. But it's not quite the ultimate that you can do for street, for example. And that distinguishes it really from a martial arts. Well, there's martial artists doing the sport. I think that's the difference, isn't it? That some of these people are incredible yeah. martial artists. Yes. doing that sport and working within those parameters i'm sure if you took them out of that scenario they could defend themselves very very well sure and sure. incredibly well because because the other thing that's and this is something i've seen as well for my short time in the, the martial arts world is there's a <laughs> it can be very clicky can't it and equally you can end up with a lot of unconditioned older con uh, instructors that yeah. haven't maintained their fitness their health um yeah their cardiovascular ability to 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 deal with multiple attackers because they're so it's almost like as people get more efficient where well, you hope they're getting more efficient and not just trying to pretend that they're no more <laughs> it's that they do less but in reality it's almost like you get as you get more efficient do you then need to find that um fitness aspect elsewhere to maintain overall health mm, that's an interesting point dave the problem I find with some older instructors is they, they're sort of living on their laurels and they don't practice as much as they used to. You know, they get a little bit overweight, etc. And I know life gets in the way. You have children, you have this, you have that. But for me, I think you owe it to your students. Know it to yourself to keep in the best shape you possibly can. For me, my training has changed. As I said, when I was younger, we used to do some really brutal things, you know, 5,000 punches, right, go, go, you count, I count, and all the rest of it, and go crazy in the dojo. Now I find that I have to really look at my joints and my muscles, my tendons, and the way they're able to move. They have a saying in China, you're only as old as your spine. So you keep your spine flexible, then your body becomes still flexible and young. Look at a leaf, it will crumple when it gets all dry and everything else. And you see a lot of people's posture like that. It's sort of crumbling and they've got this sort of stoop over. 
that because of tablets and everything else and looking at screens, I realise that. But for me, it's really important. I always do an hour a day of just movement and not, not martial arts, just movement. So I could be using the kettlebells. I could be using the club bells. I could be doing yoga. I could be doing a combination of all of them. I could go through the whole joints, the whole range of motion on each particular joint that I need to use because we have that capability. As humans, we're able to climb trees. And not some of us now, I guess, but <laughs> some of us are probably carrying a little bit too much weight. But we have that ability. We have the ability to move in all sorts of different ways and patterns. And yet, as we get older, we relinquish that. And I find that very strange because if you have the ability to do that, then have the ability to do that comes back to the again one of the main reasons i wanted to dive into this podcast because i wanted to find out regardless what people's expertise what field it was in what mm. are the common things that need to be maintained as human beings and what can we derive from looking at people that have excelled for 30 to 50 60 years in a certain field and what have they really had to dial back and say okay actually i just still needed to maintain that because regardless yeah. of whether i could balance on one finger or kick someone in the head or whatever it might be <laughs> with precision can i still walk properly fortunately many of us aren't foraging uh, yeah. at present it hasn't got that bad maybe for toilet roll in the yeah, last year because <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask what what do you think is the the main reason why so many say traditional martial arts and i use that loosely uh why so many instructors within those styles end up with poor joints like knees and hips is it the stances is it yeah I, I think it's poor practice methods definitely there's a lot of things for example we have a stance called back stance kokutsudachi and it's where you put two-thirds of your weight on your back leg but it's in a very awkward position um so it, it's not very conducive to actually helping you in later life and everything else for me that's why i changed after 35 years and and started to think about the walking martial arts and the principles. Now the principles, as we said, are for life. If I'm playing the piano, I still need to do my my basic finger exercises and everything else to limber up. You have to do your scales. And it's about doing the basics very well. This is what I find. Everyone wants the flashy technique, do a spinning back kick. I can kick a fly off your nose, etc., and so on. But it's doing those basic mundane things that make everything else magical. You've got to do those basics over and over again. It's very interesting because when I go to a seminar, for example, people always watch my hands. They don't watch my feet or my positioning of my legs where I'm going. And it's very noticeable. You'll only get one person possibly go, ah, I see what you did there with your movement and everything else. And that's really interesting. But the movement is for life. You've got to be able to move. I don't understand why you get to a certain level with your training and then you relinquish that fact. Because I, I've even had it in classes where I've watched where the instructor would get their students to demonstrate the actual techniques because they can't do it themselves anymore. Now, okay, that's fine. Maybe there's a genuine reason for that, etc. But if I get like that, I, I just don't want to be that person. I want to be, if I show you how to do that, now maybe it will change when I'm 70. I don't know, maybe, I hope not. I hope I'm gonna have that same sort of elasticity in my legs and, um, the same sort of stamina that I need to perform everything I need to perform and I'm doing my best to make sure that I, I keep doing it that's for sure and it's not by sitting and watching a tablet all the time otherwise you're not going to get anywhere in that respect it was interesting you said that a lot of people follow the hands because I think they're very uh, if you look at boxing mm. uh, Mayweather being a prime example of someone who is, is probably as close to mastery as, as many could get 
within brilliant boxer brilliant boxer yeah yeah definitely yeah i think so many of us are so used to seeing fast hands and like what you can you do with the punch but as an example of punching from a very short distance you've always taught us it's what happens behind the punch not actually the hands and coordinated movement is is what i've seen both learning from yourself and teaching others uh, and just watching people how they very much are focused on one thing it's like the brain wants Mm -hmm. to focus on pattern a arm extends arm comes back or elbow extends elbow comes back (laughs) when the feet come into play then things go completely out the window things are all over the shop I don't know how I learned a lot of my karate because I, I was looking at books and you had A position here, B position here, but it didn't actually tell you how to get to that. So it could have, you could have done a dance and a samba and then turned around and put your fist in that position. It would have been okay. You know, so I, I never got to learn from that. It's, it's very difficult to, to give this type of teaching because for me now, we're, we're delving in energies energies are slightly different than just techniques because okay if you've got one person yourself that's fine so you're doing some shapes doesn't matter what shape it is when i have another person in the equation now i've got to deal with his energy and what he does so this is a really important thing you've got to be able to then use these principles of absorption deflection projection management of spaces footwork posture etc etc you've got to be able to create space in your body You've got to create space in their body. You've got to do so many different things. And I won't bore you with all the principles that you have to do. But that's why it's so exciting, because it's so principle based. And everything in life is like that. If I play the piano and I keep my elbows out, I'm not going to get very far with it. If I don't do circles on my piano, because I thought it was straight when I was playing the piano, first of all, because you think it's just going up and down the keys. But my teacher says, no, it's actually circles and spirals. And I went, oh, figure that out. God, it's exactly the same as martial arts. Everything's got a circle, a spiral, a dot. And what is a dot? It's a small circle or a small spiral. So it's really fascinating to delve into other disciplines and find out it's exactly the same thing. It's those principles that keep everything working and functioning. So if you, I was having a a chat to someone about this actually recently, who's very experienced in in the human movement and training others and strength and conditioning and all that sort of stuff. So it, it, when you look at how we learn these processes, we say we pick a bodybuilder and we discussed this briefly the other day, didn't we? Is that it's very easy for us to pick things that involve single joint movement patterns and follow say the direction of the muscle fiber. So for example, I've used bicep curl as an example, because it's there for us to look at. It's very easy to relate to. Yeah. If we extend the elbow with a tricep, Obviously, they work together, but as the prime mover, the tricep extends and then the bicep is going to flex. It's very easy to comprehend. If I put a weight in my hand, I will stimulate that muscle fiber. It will cause growth, Mm. depending what we're working on. When you then start to integrate all of these straight lines into a flow, uh, Mm. for the yogis that are listening, I'm sure they've related to spirals at some point in their practice as well. So yoga asana practitioners, to be specific, that you find that it's so complex isn't it to, to learn spirals can take years if not decades to start not only to contemplate but then to translate that's that's the hard thing isn't it and then to put it into practice with another dynamic object i.e a human being or organism that's where sure. things get really complex it, it, it's very complex and this is the problem you can't learn these things online unfortunately because you need that transfer of energy between student and teacher 
I find this very, very difficult to explain to people because I'm coming at it from 50 years of training. That student is coming at it from it from maybe he's just started or whatever. So do I need to tell this student all about the spirals, the circles and creating space in your body and making sure that you you um, spiral up from the ankle joint through the knee, through the hip, etc. I had this conversation with Pip, as I said earlier, with my friend. And he said, you can't teach people these principles. You've got to do something for a very long time and then you might hit on the principles. And I said to him, why? He said, because that's the way it is. I said, why? He said, because that's the way we're taught. And I thought to myself, no, I'm, I'm not accepting this. So with you guys and all the people I teach now, I tend to give them the principles straight away. Now, I don't give them the complex ones because it's not necessary at that particular time. But if we go back to some basic stuff, which will translate to yoga or to piano and piano or whatever, posture, keep your posture upright. That way you can ensure your breathing's correct because if you're leaning over, then you're cutting off your breath and everything else. Um, elbows in. Elbows in is a natural position that you have when you're catching anything or doing anything or driving. You see, it's a natural 10 to 2 position of your, your body. Also, footwork. If you use your footwork, then you can't be there to be hit. Or you can go in and hit somebody. And what you're saying earlier is people don't see all the footwork. They're always looking at the hands because they want the flashy stuff. Look at him doing this and stuff and everything else. But they don't see the footwork and how much training you've actually got to do, skipping and running and road work and everything else. So for me, I changed the way I thought about teaching. And I said, you're going to learn the principles right from the beginning, why we do things and why they're important. If I look at karate, for example, and they just do, for example, in a reverse punch, they just turn on the hip. So they just swivel on the axis on that. They don't actually engage enough of the leg or get a wave going through the punch. That may be because the stance is too long and a lot of karate styles have it a lot tighter. Some masters I see do it very well. They do this wave and they do the spiraling and everything else and can generate a lot of power, but it's not common. You've got to talk about people who've been doing practice for a long time before you can get to those type of attributes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's talking about how, like, yeah, you're saying how, how quickly, it's almost like you can stand on the spot and generate all that space in the frame because we discussed this earlier when you were saying about having to move within the frame or moving, yes. creating space within your own space, within your body. And a, a simple example of that would be a spinal wave. You're on the spot, but you're manipulating where your core moves, side flexion, all these sorts of different attributes where you can generate more space to move within. And it doesn't look like you're moving that far, does it? It doesn't require the step. No, because you've, no, you've created the step in the body. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you were against the wall and someone was trying to punch you, you've got to be able to create space in your body to deal with that. Now, that's probably going to sound quite complex to some people, not maybe understand that completely, because if you're against the wall, you've got no more space to go anywhere. But you have because you've got a downward element and you've got a spiral element going down and a spiral element going up. And then I've got space in their own body that I can utilize. So there are a lot of space I can utilize just because my back is on the wall. It doesn't mean I'm finished and I can't go anywhere. But that's difficult to understand unless you really delve into the principles of understanding how you make your circles, how you make your spirals, how you create space within your own body and another person's body. So I suppose a simple exercise for that would be to uh i've worked through this with other people as well like put your hips on the wall so the mm. back of your hips and then just see how much play you have in your shoulders and then put your shoulders on the wall and see how much play you have in your hips and your spine yeah nice one yeah that's that's a great way of doing it yeah definitely 
Yeah. And again, we put all these training elements in what we're doing. It's never, for me, training is a whole, whole range of things that we can do. You shouldn't have any gaps in your knowledge. That's why I studied a lot of different stars, a lot of systems and things, because I wanted to know what they did. And I've been graded in Taekwondo, in small circle jiu-jitsu, in pressure points, etc., etc., because I wanted to know the ways and methods they did it. And I still came back to the principles. They weren't doing anything because they were sort of styles and systems. Now, sometimes they would hit on the principles, but that doesn't mean that they did it automatically as a learning thing. They would just hit on it because they did the technique a, long, a, lot, a lot of times, for example. So for me, it was about saying, look, this is the principle. This is what we need to do and do it. And then someone like yourself, who's been doing martial arts for 10, uh, 12 years, can then go with someone who's been doing it for 30 years and actually give a good account of yourself because you understand the concepts of movement, of how you can generate power and everything else. And again, we go back to that thing. Pip says, no, you can't do that. They've got to do it for 30 years. And I said, why? I want to teach them right from the beginning. Now, that's easier for me to do because I have small classes. When I had 40 classes, I don't think I could have done it because you spend a lot of time just correcting a basic stance on 40 people, for example. But that's why I stopped doing big classes. I used to have five karate clubs. And I didn't want to do that anymore because I wasn't able to give the type of teaching that I wanted to portray to everybody. It's hard, isn't it? You, I, I've definitely felt this as well, that the more you teach, the perception is that you want to teach more people, that growth or volume equates to um, almost like as you get more keen as an instructor, you mm. think that you want to teach more and more people, but in reality, I find most instructors want to actually reduce <laughs> their numbers so they can actually focus on yeah. what they've learned. Because if you're, and I, I definitely see a, a, a differentiation between practitioners here, the ones that are still practicing themselves seems to go down that route where they almost want to train less people, but give them more. It's like yeah. they want to pass on what they've learned. Whereas others that are, and again, there's no right or wrong, I, I feel some people just want to teach and if they want to teach and aren't willing to practice, that's the okay. thing. Um, but the bigger clubs, the, the more numbers and that, maybe that's the way they want to go. But it's, it's very interesting to see the ones that are just want to do six hours training a day. They want small numbers and maybe mm. they get other people that they've trained to go and do the bigger groups because they want to still home in their practice. Yeah. I, I, yes, it's a good point, actually. It depends on what your journey is, for example. We're all on the journey, aren't we? You know, I know that's overused with the American, hey, we're on the journey, man. Hey, I'm on the journey, you know. But we are. I mean, we all have our own sort of things that we want to get out of things. We have a, a thought process that says, do I want to get my black belt or do I want to become a yoga practitioner? Do I want to do lots of this or that? Do I want to travel abroad, etc., etc." And we are on a, on, a, on a journey. For me, it's always been about the learning, as I said earlier. The moment you start thinking about belts, about titles, about money, about how many people you want to teach, I think you've lost the essence of whatever you're trying to achieve. For me, it's always about the learning. And I, I, I go by, a, <laughs> for example, like there's a famous cellist. Uh, his name is, uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> That's terrible. There's a famous cellist. His name is Cabel uh, Okay. <laughs> and they asked him, said, he's 90 years old. And they asked him, said, why you keep practicing? He said, because I'm making progress. <laughs> 
And that is such an important thing. You know, it really is. It's an important thing to keep practicing and keep practicing, making progress. And even if they're only small gains, they're still making gains. You don't have to do massive jumps to something from from there. Right. I've got to do one handed handstand and that. And you've only been doing it for a week. You just do it slowly and then you'll get there and don't give up. Consistency, regardless of the, the time frame, seems to be a huge thing. Um, even if it's 10 minutes a day, that seems to the people that seem to be doing 10 minutes a day, six to seven days a week for 30, 40, 50 years, always seem to have better gains than those that do one hour a week or one hour a month. And they come back to it. And this really brings me back to something we just discussed is I don't feel that time always directly equates to knowledge. I think we've got this perception that I am a practitioner of X amount of years. So I must know this because it always precedes us in, in workshops or something, doesn't it? I have practiced cool. for this amount of years. Yeah. Some people I know have practiced six hours a day for six days a week. Yeah. And in six years, they have better skills than someone who's practiced 50 years or That's better so comprehension. True. That's so true. Yeah, I, I find this as well, because just if you're only turning up once a week, you know, for 20 minutes and you've done that for 50 years, then that's not much training really when you equate it to someone else who's turning up every day and doing it. Also, I think the way you learn is very interesting because some people are very visual, so they learn through visual things. Some people are tactile and some people are audio. And usually one of the senses, you're more in, inclined to do one of those senses. For me, it's very visual. When we learn katas, for example, which are preset arranged movements, and in Shodogan Karate, we have about 27 katas, and each one has a certain amount of moves. So some would have uh, 40 moves, some would have 75 moves. Generally, I could see the kata once and replicate it, because that's the way my mind works. Audio, not so much. <laughs> tactile, yes, I'm, I'm quite okay with tactile, but visual, definitely. And you'll find this with some people. Some people, you could they see it once and can do it. Other people, you need to explain it a lot, break it right down, and then put their hands in the correct place or put their legs in the correct place for them to learn. Going back to what you said about, yeah, I think if you practice every day, it's much more beneficial, even if it's only 10 minutes, because I think you get a habit for your body to get into. It gets a habit of going, oh, it's, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I need to do my stretching. I need to do that. And then when you actually need it, it's it's done. It's finished. You know, when you need to defend yourself, you can just do it because you've you've got the sensitivity still. You're still mixing it up with your students. You're still moving, etc. You're looking after yourself. And I think that's a very important point. Mm -hmm. it, it actually ties in really well to a lot of the conversations we've already had. And some of the guests I've, I've got lined up in the next few weeks, I'm sure we'll highlight this as well, how routine for the human body is so important because it sets so many internal rhythms for our health not mm. just creating good habits and it brings me back to that um don't sacrifice posture for position sure, uh, sure which we, sure. we've heard many times yeah, yeah that, if, if you have a posture as well could really come back to how strong are your habits if if your habits create yeah. good posture mentally physically however you want to look at it energetically if those aren't in place you've compromised your position because you haven't dealt with your own stuff before dedicating yourself to others. Sure, definitely. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. I think making it a habit is the most important thing to do it and being prepared to fail when you make it your habit. 
for example, I would do an hour of language every day, whether it be French or Italian, etc. I would do an hour of piano every day, religiously. I would do an hour of movement, not martial arts, just movement, joint movement, etc. to keep my body working or running or something. And then I would fit in my martial art practice as well. But I'd always do those things. And if I don't do it, I feel cheated or I'm, I'm feeling like I've shortchanged myself because we're, we're all there watching TV for hours on end or screens and stuff and that. And they go, oh, I haven't got time for that. And yet they sit down in front of the TV and watch five hours of Love Island or something stupid like that, you know. So you owe it to yourself to be good with your habits. And once you make it a habit, it's just creating good habits in anything, in martial arts, in movement, in life. It doesn't matter. Just have a habit of doing it every day, little and often. It's the way you stretch. It's the way you get better in anything. So important, so important. And we talked briefly about energy as well. Haven't we got this perception that as soon as energy is mentioned, I know a lot of people go, oh God, here we go. Here's, here's the energy. <laughs> here we go talking about energy. And it's really interesting, isn't it? A hundred years ago, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all of these different things where we could stream large amounts of data through the air. So yeah. just because we didn't, we couldn't see it at that point, but now we can see it, um, the, the effects of it, sorry it now becomes a little bit more apparent. And I can definitely attest to being hit by energy um, through a punch. The difference between someone who is good with their energy, who can generate more power, let's think of it that way, more of a contraction, a quick contraction through the muscle fibers um, or releasing that energy through their, through their limbs, whatever it might be, it's very effective, isn't it? And yeah. we are energetic beings in the fact that we are electricity we are transmitting electricity in the way our nervous system works yeah. um it's quite a hard concept isn't it and obviously things like orientation of the tongue the breathing all of these things make a huge difference to how much energy we can expel at once or draw in yeah definitely it's a hard concept to get your head around because people think of this sort of dragon ball z and making a chi ball for example and stuff and it's nothing like that at all it's for me it's about being very efficient with your body mechanics understanding your breathing, the correct angle and direction of the strike. It's not necessarily, we don't do anything straight. You should always have everything on a spiral, on a curve. The body is good at deflecting things that are straight. That's why you have a shield, it's straight. It deflects things, okay? The moment you start angling things, it changes the whole concept. Now, people have a thing about energy so far as they think, oh, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, like mystical and what have you. Everything is energy. As you said, you know, a couple hundred years ago, we didn't even have a light bulb. We're doing this podcast because of energy, because of someone's idea thinking, ah, we could do this through the Internet and stuff. Go, no, really? You know, so it's absolutely incredible what you can do with the energy. And I don't think we tap into it enough. We really don't. I think we sell ourselves short thinking that we're not capable of doing things. And you are really. Again, it's that sort of thing you say, oh, I'm frightened of failing. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'll look silly. I don't want to dance because I'm self-conscious and that. I think you've got to do do things with the confidence of a four-year-old in a Batman suit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can do whatever you like in your life, really. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I think uh, looking back now at uh, some of the training we did in the initial stages, some of the movements didn't seem apparent at that time like the benefits of these didn't seem apparent but now looking back i can see that pinning the elbow to the arm and walking up and down the living room backwards and forwards made a made a huge difference it really improved the way and my understanding of keeping my elbows in because that would improve my footwork it meant i wouldn't overreach 
funny enough, talking about your living room, it's really reminded me of training in that space, which was tiny, really, wasn't it? It reminded me of that fighting in the phone box concept. So being able to fight within close spaces and the benefits of that as we don't always get that luxury to fight in an open space where we have the ability to run away, do we? It's, these things can catch us off guard or if we were to be attacked in a self-defense scenario, we might get pinned in an area that is very small and we have to defend ourselves. Yes, exactly. It's it's not the space you're in. It's how It's not how big the space is. It's how efficient you are within the space you have. And that's a different going back to the to the phone box scenario. You should be able to fight in a phone box. I should be able to kick you in the head in the phone box. You know, not there are any phone box around anymore. Every we've got all mobile phones, and most of them have been turned into libraries and what have you, or the doors been ripped off or something like that. But but yeah, you should be really efficient with the space you're in, and that goes back to what we were saying earlier with creating voids in yourself, creating uh, space within yourself, creating space within your opponent also. And people haven't got this. It's very much, right, this is a fist, this is A, and this is B. But the generation and the way you actually deliver that blow, no one's really thought about it. It's just, right, I'll throw that out. And you see this a lot, like, in uh, when people are doing any bag work. They're just punching the head out of it. And they're having a good sweat. They're having a good workout. But totally inefficient with the, with the way they're punching. So, again, we're going back to the principles and how you can utilise the principles making those spirals come up through your feet so you're using that kinetic energy of the ground for example translating that through to your ankle to your knee to your hip and then translating it through your arms your arms are just the expression of whatever you want to to use so if we were to go back through the years and you could speak to yourself in your younger years especially when you began and started to learn martial arts would you say anything specific to yourself would you change anything is there any advice you'd give to yourself as a teenager as a 20 year old for example that's a hard one Dave because everything you do brings you to this point without doing everything I have done I wouldn't have met you without doing everything I've done I wouldn't be teaching around the world and I feel very privileged for, for being able to do that could I say I wish I would learn the principles quicker and not had to do 35 years of karate before I started to really realize what it was about but then without doing 35 years of karate, maybe I wouldn't understand the difference between that and the principles. It's a, it's a really tough... I'm, I'm, I'm inclined not to, to regret anything. I'm inclined to do everything so I don't regret anything, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't want to live my life where I should have, could have, would have. That's not really the way I live. I try to do everything I want to do. And if it's wrong, I'm able to say it's wrong and change it and not be frightened to change it. Many times, as you know, we've been doing techniques and there's, oh, we're not on centre line. Okay, just change that. We won't do that anymore. Oh, but we've done it. We've practised it for years. I said, no, just change it. Hubud, oh, it's not on centre line. Let's just change Hubud. Hubud is a, a movement that you do. Uh, it means tie, untie in Filipino. And it's like an arm movement and it's an energy drill to people who don't understand that. But we gave up doing Hubud because I said, oh, we're doing it wrong because we're we're crossing our centre and then we're doing this. But then we went back to it because we said, let's just put the principles in it. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, OK, let's do that. So to answer your question, I, I don't really think I should change anything because if I do, something else will change. Yeah, regret is something I've often thought about and the the value of that process, because obviously if we reframe that as a positive learning experience. And Gareth and I spoke about this on episode three. 
it really changes our connection to it and also the benefits we gain from it. So it becomes a learning lesson and a, and a process we can develop from. Equally on the opposing side, is that lesson repeating itself because it is trying to teach us something? Maybe we ignore that lesson so much and it just keeps coming back until it has done what it needs to do. Yes. There's a thing they say, it comes in for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And people are like that. They come in for a reason to teach you something or a season, a period in your life that you needed to know something or something. Or people come into your life for a lifetime. And I have people like that who've been in my life for a lifetime and I consider friends and I know they'll be in my life for, for, the, for the rest of my life without doubt. But there are other people that you think, hmm, he's teaching me something here. Maybe I don't want to be like him. Maybe I want to be like him. Maybe because he's very good and I think, ah, I could take some of his elements that he does and express it in my own way because obviously we're, we're so different. I can't do the same thing as you can do. You can't do the same thing as me. We're all individualistic. We all have different muscle fibres, different things. Some people are best used to stamina. Some people are best used to fast twitch muscles, etc. So it just does depend on that. But for me, it's always about sharing, making yourself better and bringing people on that journey at the same time. I never met anyone who's on the deathbed and said, I wish I would have worked a bit more. I wish I would have spent a bit more time in the factory and, you know, knocked out a few more uh, rubber seals and stuff. No, they always regret on the things that they haven't done and should have done. And I think that's a really important for principle, actually, for life. Do everything you want to do, because before you know, the time goes really quick. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I've thought about quite a bit as well. I mean, I don't own much, really, in terms of assets, uh, because mainly a lot of my time and my money has been driven towards uh, doing a job that I love and trying to spend time with my family and time abroad teaching. And it's definitely led me away from owning things and more about experience. And I get sometimes, I mean, everyone's got their own experience. I, I completely understand that and everyone to their own. For me personally, I always wanted to try and enjoy things while I could. And if that meant earning a, a little bit less or owning less especially in my younger years but enjoying that time with my family and the ability to go abroad then that's something that definitely sat a little bit better with me um, and, and again everyone's on their own journey yeah for me it's a maxim I think you you work to live you don't live to work you know that's the whole point uh, if you if you're lucky to do something you really enjoy in your life and it's your job as well then how fantastic. I mean, my father used to always say to me, do something you enjoy for a living and then you'll never work again for the rest of your life. And, and now I realise what that means because obviously I do this for a living. I, I teach abroad and I teach, you know, uh, around and I, I really love it. So for me, it's not a work. And it's really a positive thing for me as well because when you can help other people come along and make themselves better as well, for me, you then feed off that energy too. You, you, you can't help but be drawn in by that, by the enthusiasm of everyone learning and getting better together. And for me, it's about getting your students better than yourself. They should take what, what you've actually uh, passed down to them and use it in their own way, but also make themselves better, you know, and be better than you. I want people to be higher than me in their understanding and their learning. Then you've done a good job because if, if you've kept everyone underneath you, then you really haven't passed anything... <laughs> you really haven't passed anything on 
So for me, it's like, come on, everyone, get better than me, and then I'm happier. But of course, then I want my level to go up to compensate for that. So it's it's a win-win all the time. You're all getting better at the same time and discussing things and so on and so on. And that, that's a beautiful thing. It's mad, really, isn't it? Because that ego is going to die with us. That's going to disappear when we go. So the harder thing is to continue to develop your students and also take a concept from your own head and communicate that to others and somehow build it into their lifestyle and their, their mental and physical attributes so they can start to apply it because that really is our job as a coach isn't it or even as a student is to to really absorb these and then be able to pass them on yeah i think it's a shame dave because a lot of a lot of teachers fail to pass on what they know especially in martial arts is a big thing in that or it's a secret technique and you have the thing where the the old master used to have two students and he would teach half the system to one student and half the system to the other and then whoever he thought was the best student, he would teach the whole system to that to that student. But really, you know, it's not the way to do it. I mean, we're not living in feudal Japan or anything like that anymore. For me, it's about passing that knowledge down, passing. I never keep anything for myself. Maybe sometimes the student is not ready to see some of the things that you actually are showing or explaining. Maybe they need a bit more time. But you should still say it and you should still say, look, this is what it is, spiral circles. This is what we're doing with the energy. This is the way you deliver it. This is it's not a secret technique. It's just doing things well. You know, there are no such thing as secret. It's just doing everything well, the basics well, the principles well. And for me, that's the most important thing then to pass it on, because, you know, when I'm 80 years old, I'm not going to be doing spinning back kicks and, uh, you know, flying arm bars on uh, Khabib or whatever. You know, it's just not going to happen, you see. So it's just no point thinking like that. But I can help other people achieve that if I need to. Yeah. And, and all of this takes an element of sacrifice, doesn't it? I think many people expect to get to, uh, say, a competent standard or a form of mastery without going through sacrifice. And sometimes that sacrifice is a complete... Uh, it almost seems like you've gone completely off the path yeah. to get to this. For example, you worked in a fish and chip shop, didn't you? Yes, yes, I had a fish and chip shop. Yeah, that's where I met Pip, actually. Yeah, I met, I met him in the fish. He used to come in for chips and things. And so he's, he saw a photo that wasn't actually for public, but Pip being nosy. He looked around the corner and he saw me in the gi with my son. And he said, oh, you're a martial artist. Is that, oh, well, I'll do a little bit, you know, and you don't want to say too much, obviously. Oh, I do a little bit too, you know, bear in mind we've both done over 30 years by then and what have you, you know. Oh, yeah, do you want to train? Yeah, I don't mind training. Yeah, let's do, let's do a bit of training and stuff and that. So he came round to the, to the burger bar. It was a burger bar, you know, fish and chips and everything. And he came in his suit. He came in his hakama, which is like the traditional Japanese baggy trousers, that with his suit and stuff. I had an apron on with burger and blood and lots of fish and crap on it and that lot. And he said, aren't you getting changed? And I said, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. He goes, well, I, I, but yeah. And we trained in this garage. And bear in mind, I had it's just a standard garage that you put your car in, the normal one garage. And either side of the garage was chest freezers. So we only had this space in the middle. Yeah, to train on. And it was really, and he, he couldn't believe that we could just train and just do it like that. He he wants to go to a dojo and bow to the master and uh, all this type of stuff, you know. And I said, no, we just do it here. This is fine. I didn't even change. I still had a tea towel around my waist and everything and what have you, my check whites on and everything else like that. But I got him out of the habit of saying, well, I'm doing it, not the suit. You know, the, the belt is just for your trousers. It's not for, to, it's not for anything. And I love this. This is like a, 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 
a lovely Zen moment. When Dan passed his black belt in the Philippines, we gave him the black belt and he said, how do you put it on? <laughs> yeah. And still to this day, I don't think he tied the belt up. I don't He's think not I, put it on. I don't think any of us do. And the same for you. Same, you, haven't, you don't put your belt on because we don't wear belts. It's, I've always said that you're doing it, not the belt. Yes, it's nice to have awards. It's nice to have those things. But don't, uh, don't be defined by those awards and those accolades. It's not necessary. Yeah, there's a time and a place for these things always, isn't there? Yeah. There's um, if if you're if you're wearing it out on the street, expect to be <laughs> potentially confronted by someone who, who might want to test you for an angry ice cream man. Yeah, probably. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few of them around. Um, it's uh, it's actually just coming back to one of the questions. Uh, I obviously, asked you uh, what what you do if you were sort of looking back, but what advice would you have for someone who's just starting martial arts or Regardless of their age, if they're uh, if they're young or they're older, and they think is now the right time? Am I a bit too old for this? Or am I a bit too young for this? What sort of advice would you say? Is there anywhere you'd go? Is there anyone who you'd recommend to, or any type of teacher that you'd recommend to to look at from your experience? That's a hard question, Dave, because we're all different. So we all have different things that we do. Some people don't like getting punched in the face. So I wouldn't recommend boxing. Some people are more spiritual, so maybe you want to go to sort of Tai Chi or, or Aikido, which is very much on the spiritual side, etc., and not harming the opponent, etc. So I have to say that it will depend on your personal makeup, so far as body type, also your mental state. But what I would say is do something, because it will help you. It will give you lots of attributes and believe in yourself. And don't be frightened to fail. That is a think the number one thing is fail really quickly so you can get out the way and then get going <laughs> that's a really important fact you know because that's what stops people is they was frightened of something they was frightened of doing something in front of someone frightened of looking silly and stuff just do it and jump in it and then you'll 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 you wish you'd done it sooner that's for sure because many paralyze themselves with but what if just like just like you said there needs to be a point where you just get on with it you don't think about what others have got to. And I think for many people, I think this is what's deemed that midlife crisis is that people get to a point where they're so fed up of pleasing other people, where it's always about how do I fit in, in this culture? How do I fit in at work? How do I fit in the box? Yeah. And for, for many of us, this last year as well has definitely sort of, there is this, this push into you need to be a certain type of person doing certain types of things and being sure. a certain type of way. And people want to think differently. And that's the beauty of being a human being is that we have a collective, um, we have this spectrum where everyone sits on a different spectrum. They think differently. They see the world from a different point. And that's uh, that's the beauty, I think, of being a human being. Utilising that yeah. collective yeah. thought process. Definitely. And I think harnessing those, those attributes that you just highlighted is really important because... For example, if we're all training together and I say something, all right, we're going to do this and that, and someone says, oh, have you thought of this? And I have to go, no, actually, I haven't. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, let's explore that. Let's explore that. I don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just a beginner. You know, I'm, I'm the all-seeing. All Ignore the guy behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. It's not me. You know, it's, a, it's for me, it's about really taking on board because, again, I go back to that concept. The moment you forget about it's learning, about improving, about getting better, that's when you come unstuck. And the beginner's mindset could be just as valuable as the master's mindset, couldn't it, oh, in reality? Yeah. yeah, I think you have to cultivate that beginner's mind. 
you've got to be a beginner for all your life. You cannot master. What have I mastered? I mean, although I'm doing it for 52 years now, martial arts, I still feel like I know nothing. It's just so much to do. And how can you get bored? People get their black belt and leave. And you go, you haven't done anything yet. You, 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 haven't, even, you haven't even started your journey. You know? And it's such a shame because that is their definition of what they think it is or where they think they should be. And they don't actually expand their own consciousness or their own physicality, for example, to do the things that they didn't think was possible. And for me, trying to get that across to people, say, no, you can do this. That is my job to try and bring out and harness the best out of people. And that's what I really enjoy now. And there's always a point, isn't there? As a coach, we can always give a certain amount of um, instruction, but there is always a point where it, it comes back to the individual. It comes back to, I'm responsible for my training. I'm responsible for what I learn as well from yourself. Like I sometimes I'm going to have to find more reference points in my life in order to come to practice so I can understand these concepts better because you can give me a certain amount of tools, but if I don't go away and focus on it and say, right, I need to look at this from five different directions because maybe one of these is going to stick better in my mind, or maybe I haven't quite gained, maybe I haven't found that path yet. So is it up to me or is it up to you? I think there's this dual dualistic relationship where there's always this go away, work on it, come back, ask a question, let's work it out together, go away and work on it again. Yeah. Yeah, I know this is sound weird, but I'm not responsible for someone's learning. I can only I can only show and I can only pass on what I know, but it's up to the student to take that information, practice it, come back, get adjusted or change things or whatever. But I don't know what you're going to do with the training after. I might have showed you something and then you haven't bothered doing anything until you've come back to the next session. So you haven't gone back and practiced it. If I said this is the pattern for footwork so you can get out of the way quicker and I would expect, reasonably expect someone to go away and practice that. A lot of students don't. They use the time that they're with the instructor or the time they're at a club as their training time. So then we go back to what we said earlier, someone's doing something for 20 minutes for 60 years, you know, once a month, it's not going to be much, much practice. It's really important that you take on board what's been shown. doesn't matter if you don't understand it or that thing, or you come at it at different reference points, as you just said, you might need something else. You might need to play the piano to understand what you've just been shown, for example, or something will twig. You can watch what Roger Federer, for example, again his hip movement, his his body placement, his mechanics. It's it's sensational. He's absolutely fantastic at that. And I look at that and go, ah, maybe I can generate my punch like that, or maybe I can throw an item like this, my throwing knife, for example. So you're taking on all different influences and putting them into the melting pot and seeing what resonates with yourself. Because at the end of the day, we're all individualistic. You know, what works for me might not work for you. What works for another person, it, he might not understand it, but you might give him something and say, well, watch Roger Federer. Ah, got it. Yeah, now I know what you're saying. When, when he threw the javelin or someone, blah, blah, blah. So you're coming at it with different things. And that's what I'm saying is not to be trapped in techniques and in structure that you can't think outside that box. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it fits in very well, actually, it fits into... To the last question is that human first aspect is that you are waking up you're dealing with the the human aspect you go to the toilet you do all these other basic basic processes because even prior to being given a name 
you're a human being. And then we want to segregate ourselves as I am the martial artist, I am the dancer, I am this, I am the tennis player, because we want to put ourselves in the box because it makes us feel like we're part of something, but we are part of something. We are human first and foremost. Yeah. And if we always think that way, then I think we're more open to learning because we can quite happily say, I can see those principles in X, Y, and Z sport. So I'm going to go and practice X, Y, and Z sport and see if I can put these into these boxes and then take them back out again. Sure, definitely. And what do we do? Collect boxes? Is that what people do? I call it collecting baggage. People do this in martial arts a lot. They collect techniques. This is my favourite technique. This will work. Yes, it always works on a person who's compliant and they're, they're their student. But I always love it when I go abroad or go to different places where I've never met the people before and I can make the same techniques work because I understand the principles and not just the shape. Yeah, You shouldn't define anything by a box. Yeah, we like to compare because we're human and we always compare oh, what cars he got next door, blah, 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 and so on. This is a, a normal human condition. But don't get trapped inside these boxes. You know, don't think, even though I've, I've sort of said to you today that, okay, the martial arts are the principles and this is what it is, that's open to change. It's open to change next week, tomorrow, two hours, three minutes from now. And I'm, I'm prepared to explore that and to change it if I need to. So that is the difference. I don't get trapped or defined by labels or by certain things because that will actually stop your learning. Just like the laws of physics. Like we have to reanalyze these things as something new comes up. As Again, I'm talking something way over my head, but it, it from what my understanding is, is that as something new comes along, as we explore something else, as we look at, we look into space, we see mm -hmm. something and go, why is it behaving that way? So we change these theories that have been in place for 200 years. So... <laughs> It's almost the same as the principles, isn't it? Just because what we understand now seems correct doesn't mean that in 10 years it's going to be completely on its head and we go, oh, my God, this is, yeah. we've messed up. We, we didn't have it. We thought we had it, but we were wrong. You can always adjust it, can't you? For me, see, if you're practicing, you think you're going in the wrong direction. You can always adjust it, can't you? It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing yoga, you're doing piano playing, you're doing whatever, just because you're doing it one way. And someone says to you, have you thought about this? Oh, yeah. You know, we used to think the world was flat, didn't we? And don't go too far because you fall off the edge. Well, actually, it's round. You just keep going. Okay. But actually, it's not round. It's actually on a spiral and it's on a thing. Everything is a spiral and a circle. We don't have anything in nature that's actually a straight line, which is really spooky. And so we don't do our martial arts like that. And yet people still do their martial arts like that. But, you know, that's not my place to say anything. It's, it's you know, I want to do it as well as I can and pass on that knowledge to, to the people who are around me. You might upset a few people with that one. I think a few people still think it is flat. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> who am I to say? Who am I to say? Um, Brilliant. And just to finish every podcast, I'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. This could be principles. It doesn't have to be uh, specific habits. So what would be on the top of your list to form the foundations of human health, or in other words, a human first approach? That's a great question, Dave. For me, I would say, make sure you can move your body in the way it's designed to. That means move every joint, you know, do hip circles, move. It's very rare that we put our knee up to our chest while we're standing, for example, or our, our knee out to the side. But we have that capability, don't we? So I don't see why we shouldn't. So I do a lot of moving, all the joints, all the tendons, because as we get older, that's what you lose straight away. You lose that mobility and that flexibility. 
And if you think about it logically, if you can do that with your body, then your mind will follow suit. You'll have a flexible mind also. So that's what I'll leave you with. Keep yourself moving, do your joints, full range of motion, keep your mind flexible. Angelo, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's always a pleasure. I'm very grateful to have spent the last 11 uh, plus years with yourself. And obviously I'm looking forward to the many that continue from this point. So it's good to discuss this and I'm sure we can dive into some of these concepts for some of the martial artists that would like to go a little bit deeper on some of these at a later stage. So thank you once again, really, really appreciate it. No, it's been a pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. For more information on Angelo and Filipino Kusho, which is the martial art he has developed based on principles, please follow the link in the show notes or message me and I will get back to you. As always, I massively appreciate your support with the podcast. If you could give us a like, subscribe or follow on Spotify or Apple, it is massively appreciated. Thank you so much for your time and I will see you on the next episode.